0: Welcome
1: to the Expert PK
0: and Newbie Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Expert PK and Newbie Podcast, the podcast where each week we take a passage of the Bible, we read it together and we get the three different perspectives of the three different people. With me as always, I have Lachlan Miller, our expert, Morgan Carter, our newbie. And I'm Joshua Lee, our PK Pastors Kid. How are you all doing today?
1: Well, this is the second episode we're recording in a row. Mm. And so it's been a good half hour since we wrapped up the previous episode. So I'm still doing well, Josh. Still doing
2: well, yeah. For those probably with keen eyes, they'll probably see that we're wearing the same um, attire as as, as, as last episode. Yeah, it's always funny doing these... um, these sort of bits of chit chat and we're asking like how are we doing cuz it hasn't hasn't changed i don't think anything drastic
1: has happened <laughs> no. you know in that half an hour break Josh and I went and got a coffee and got back late and left Morgan sitting on Zoom by herself for 10 minutes. Sorry. And that's- yeah,
0: I thought this episode was just going to be the pastest kid and the expert.
1: <laughs> you. <laughs> you thought we forgot to
2: Zoom you in. Morgan, you were just sitting there like ha- like having to record it yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Send us your thoughts. <laughs> what did you get up to in your half-hour break, Morgan?
0: I just did some adulty stuff and just did the washing, you know?
1: Important. Maybe a better question is... What are we up to in the next few days of our lives?
0: I'm starting my new job tomorrow.
1: Oh, that's very exciting. You should have led with that.
0: Yeah, just a new role at the hospital. So still working at the children's hospital, but just um, a new role, which is exciting.
1: Mm, Very. My rest of my week will be finishing a sermon that I'll be preaching on Sunday. I'm actually doing Mm -hmm. three services in a row at church on Sunday, with the same sermon, which is the first time I've done that. So... We'll see if the sermon is perfect by the end or whether I just over it by the end. <laughs> so you're using like the first sermon um, like the first
2: time you use that sermon as like a testing ground. Second time you're like maybe workshop shopping something. Third
1: time you're like nailed it. I mean, hopefully, but our biggest congregation is that first one, so I don't uh, want them to be the testing ground. True, true.
2: It's, it's funny because Easter was the big milestone um, for myself, especially with preaching throughout Easter for, for me and a lot of um, Easter activities. Don't have much coming up, which is... Nice. I think. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think. I think. You know. I, for me, at the very least, it's 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 nice not to have something coming up and just ha- taking this moment to breathe. Mm. Um, there's a short TikTok series I'm going to continue on as the assistant um, camera assistant at the end of the week. But other than that, there's nothing major coming up. Um, just little, just you know, just work and life just continuing on.
1: Well, in that case, Josh, where in Genesis are we reading?
2: We are reading chapters 18 and 19.
0: Today's passage comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 18 and 19. In these chapters, we again see God appear to Abraham, where he expresses his intention to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, knowing that his nephew Lot resides within Sodom, pleads with God for the city, which leads to God rescuing Lot and his family from the city as it is destroyed. So in the last episode, um, we looked at Abraham's walk with God and the highs and lows some of the things he went through. Um, we saw Hagar give birth to a child. Um, we talked about circumcision and then we ended with a promise of Sarah having a baby. Mm, yeah. What's happening?
1: Yeah, now we hit a bit of like a... Almost like a filler episode. If you're watching a TV show, yeah, you'd be yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, this doesn't necessarily continue the story of the previous episode," but a lot happens in these two chapters that we're looking at today. It does, and it's sort of like a
2: filler episode is a good way of putting it because we do we do start with another promise, mm. but it's the same
1: promise. Again, it, really. it is the
2: same. It is the same promise, and and it's like what you said, Morgan. Like it's the same reassurance. Like each time, it's like the same thing, and it's almost like god's trying to nail in that this this is going to happen you just need to trust me that this is going to happen it is quite interesting how it's it is being reiterated more than once more than twice like how many times has this, has this promise been like made like five times or so multiple yes mm. yeah so in this part of the story three men come up Mm-hmm. Who were the three men, Josh? That is an excellent question and something I wrote down <laughs> of who <laughs> <Me> they... <too. laughs> but I But my brain immediately went to like Trinity,
1: like three. Some Christian commentators try to go there. Mm. I don't think that's fair because in this passage we have the Lord and two angels like it's it's quite distinct that one of these human characters is the lord yeah and then at the end of 18 we see that two of them walk away towards Sodom and at the beginning of 19 we see now the two angels arrived at Sodom mm-hmm. so i think what we see here is the lord the one one of them is the lord and then he has two companions two angels with him and that would make more sense especially
2: like you said we then see two angels at Sodom mm. so it would it would make it would make sort of sense like the 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 distinction is
1: quite there. yes. and Abraham Abraham, wait, I can actually use his his real name now. Um, Abraham seems to recognize that these three men are special because he's an elderly respected member of the community and he runs out from his tent and bows before them on the ground and invites them in for a meal mm. and not just a small meal but like a lavish meal. And so it's hard to tell at what point he realizes that. He is speaking to the Lord himself, but he definitely recognises immediately that these are people to be respected. Mm. And it says, at least in my version, bowing low, Mm. like... In any
2: um, culture where bowing is sort of the custom, uh, it's always been sort of that if you were, the lower you bow, the more respect you have for the other person. And so this saying, he bowing low to the ground, not just bowing to the ground, but low to the ground is sort of like indicating how much respect he has for um, these these three uh, beings here.
0: And a little side note for this bit, like I was saying to you before, Lockie, like, I didn't realize these people lived in tents.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just a
0: little fun fact. I just assumed they would have lived in like houses, like little huts or something, but just tents.
1: Yes, because while God has promised this land to Abraham and his descendants, Abraham has not yet made claim to any of this land. And so Mm -hmm. him and his whole household continue to live a at least semi-nomadic lifestyle of dwelling in tents.
2: Do we know why he hasn't made any claim
1: at this point? Um, I don't know if we know why he hasn't yet. He's been promised this land, but he seems content to dwell in tents with his large household and large flocks of animals. Um, it's not till the actually end of his life where he acquires a tomb to be buried in and it's the first piece of the land that he officially owns in a legal sense. You know, maybe, it's a, maybe that's a humble thing of like, well... This is God's land,
2: so up until the end or the promise being fulfilled, then I can
1: make my stake or something along those lines maybe, or just, it's just a choice. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but God did say in the previous chapter that he wasn't going to give the entire land to Abraham yet because the sins of the people who currently lived in the land hadn't reached such a point that they were to be all judged and kicked out for mm. it. Um, I mean, we're about to see that at least two of the cities have reached that point, but rather than giving them to Abraham, God is just going to destroy these sinful people. But we'll get to 19 in a moment. Let's stick with 18 for now. Yes. I like the humility that Abraham has at the beginning of 18, because he says, let a little water be brought. Like he, he presents a really humble offer and like, let's have a few scraps of food for you. And then... He gets the finest flower, He gets a choice tender calf and he stands there waiting on them. Mm. This highly respected leader of a nation waiting on these three men. So he goes above and beyond in his hospitality. And we're still, again, not sure at what point he realized that this was the Lord who was visiting him. Because in verse 3, he welcomes him by saying, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, but the Lord word there is Adonai, which mm. can be used for God but can also just be like, sir. Yeah. Like just a a general respectful greeting. And then it's not until down in verse 13 that we see the name Yahweh appear and it becomes explicit that this person visiting Abraham is Mm. Yahweh.
2: That confirmation... Gets put in for a like Abraham, but it shows a great mark of respect. Like you know, he could have he could have been uncertain, but he was certain that these people needed that respect, mm.
1: that hospitality. That
2: hospitality, yeah. And I like how it says the shade of a tree, so sort of, it so could imply that he's very much sort of backed off to allow them to to eat, as that sort of uh show of respect that these that they are sort of higher than me in sort of um in this sort of status world um mm. that we live in and like sort of being like in the shade of the tree you're sort of hidden away like sort of being removed uh again
1: and i think it's from this story that we get this new testament bible verse from hebrews which says do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Mm. Just think it's a little fun callback when you read through the book of Hebrews and realize that this story of Genesis is probably the basis for that idea of always show hospitality. Yeah.
2: I mean you know even in our day-to-day life if we you know we don't know who we might be showing hospitality to. It it could be someone we know, it could be it could be an angel. I have no idea. Mm.
0: In verse eleven, it talks about how Abraham and Sarah are now old, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Mm-hmm. And being a good old study Bible, it <laughs> talks about like indicating that her reproductive years have ended.
1: It's the nicest way to phrase going through menopause that I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, and it. Um, I like that after that, then it says, "So Sarah laughed herself." So it's the theme of laughter just keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like yeah, good one, God, like, is it going to happen? Like laughing about it. And I can just imagine God when the baby's born being like, who's laughing now? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And they will remember that for the rest of their lives because they name their son Laughter. Like that is what Isaac's name means. Mm. I find it interesting that Sarah laughs because in the previous chapter, Abraham laughs at this promise. But clearly between those two chapters, he either didn't tell Sarah about it or failed to convince her. Because now, when she hears from God's mouth the same promise, she also has the same response of laughter. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's a
2: good indication that God, because it says that laugh to herself, so not necessarily out like to out out loud to anyone else, but still a good indication that God will still hear it. Mm. Like even if it's just to yourself alone, God's still going to hear it.
0: Mm, I like in fourteen how it says, "Is anything too hard for the Lord?"
1: Mm. Mm. I
0: really like that. Yeah, Phrase. It's such
1: a good just standalone Bible verse because mm. yeah. it's a call to say that nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing yeah. is impossible for Yahweh.
0: And then in 15 we see Sarah denying, saying I did not laugh because she was afraid. So it's kind of like she knows it's going to happen but she still laughs about it. Kind of like a false hopeish kind of thing. Mm.
1: And there's nothing like lying directly to God's face. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how this story just ends with, but he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> God's just like, uh, you did, but okay. Yeah, it's like, well, hang on. Moving on.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you think she denies it out of just straight fear? Like she's realised, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that.
1: I suspect so, but I don't think we're mm-hmm. told why. Yeah. yeah. But I think there is a lesson there for us as humans is, often our default reaction can be to lie, to save face, to avoid embarrassment. Mm. And mm. we see that human response here in Scripture, but God cannot be deceived by it.
0: I fully just realised Sodom's a place, not a person.
1: <laughs>
0: in the next part of 18, in verse 17, it says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Mm. Who's he talking to and questioning that?
1: I think this himself? is an example of God talking to himself, Yes. Um, whether God literally said this to himself is probably up for debate, but I think the author of Genesis wants us to know the mind of God in this moment, mm. Mm. wants us to realize what is going on in God's mind. And I think this yeah. is really important because when you jump forward to like John fifteen fifteen in the New Testament, Jesus says... I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. And so here in Genesis, what we see is Abraham is effectively a friend of God. Mm. By Jesus' own criteria, by revealing his mind, by revealing his plans to Abraham, God is saying, in the words of Jesus, you are no longer my servant or slave, you are my friend. Mm. And so I think it's actually a really... Beautiful way to start this new sentence, this new little interaction.
2: Yeah, like it reinforces that whole like walking with God. In some instances, he's going to like maybe dra- have to like drag you by your heels along. Um, but you know, that walking with having that sort of that more relational, um, relational relationship with God of being able to know what, um, in this instant he's thinking. Um, What his what his plan is, rather than like what it says in John, rather having that servant uh, master relationship where Mm. anything goes, Lord, which obviously should be the case. It's still the case. It's still the case. But it's nice to have that more conversational element as well. Mm. That you know, I feel like we're able to get closer to God in that.
1: The second half of eighteen, I think, is particularly interesting because Abraham starts to intercede for these Gentile cities, right? These these non-Jewish cities. And I think that is perfectly in line with the very first time we see Abraham in Genesis, where he's told to be a blessing to all nations on earth. Mm. Like we're told that he is going to be a blessing and through him all nations will be blessed. And here he is interceding for these foreign nations. Yeah. And so I think it's a really nice moment of seeing Abraham live out what was instructed to him and he's not afraid to have this back and forth
2: Mm. between god here um and sort of not giving up as well especially when he like you know it says 55 people at the beginning and then abraham's pushing for 45 and then when God goes, yeah, all right, forty five, he then pushes again. Like it, it it's not even so like on one hand it's not like not afraid to just to like sort of ask, but then to keep to keep going and going and going and going and have that back and forth mm. with with the Lord.
1: And Abraham even recognises in verse twenty seven that this is inappropriate. It's like how am I this bold? I'm nothing but dust and ashes, mm. but what if it was five less than that? What yeah. if it was only forty five? And so, this is basically a slow negotiation Mm. between Abraham and Yahweh. But rather than being just a straight-up negotiation, I think Abraham is trying to understand what God's standard is. And by the end, when he says, okay, so for the sake of 10, you won't destroy it, he doesn't feel the need to push it further to 5 and then to 1 because he's mostly concerned just about his nephew Lot, he realizes that the principle has been established. Mm. And the principle is that God will not judge the righteous along with the wicked.
2: Do we think it was part of God's plan for Abraham to intervene like this?
1: I think it's the entire reason that he's decided to reveal his mind to Abraham. Mm. Like the very statement Morgan brought up. Is I think this whole interaction was the whole reason God stayed around after having this meal with Abraham was to have this conversation and Mm. to see Abraham living out his calling of being a blessing to all nations. Yeah.
0: So, you know how you were saying before, the wicked won't go along the righteous. Mm -hmm. Yep. How does Abraham know who's wicked and who's righteous? Like, would God have told him, or was it for him, was for Abraham to discern?
1: I think Abraham's discerning that he thinks his nephew, Lot, is a righteous man. And we're told later on that Lot is a righteous man and we see his interactions in 19, mostly in a righteous way. There's a few lapses of judgment there, but Mm. Abraham hears that the city his nephew lives in is about to be destroyed. And this is him interceding on behalf of his nephew. And so at the very least, he sees his nephew as righteous. How many more Mm. from that? Who knows? But he wants him to be safe.
2: Mm. I think there's something like humbling about maybe like not knowing and like that mm. that trust in either in either the righteous people or either in God choosing the righteous he's he's sort of saying like just allow these like if you can find these righteous people and like leaving it that like if I think it would be a step too far if Abraham started to say I need you to save this person and this person and this yeah. person mm. um you know, I think that that does a U-turn on on Abraham's character here or what God's trying to get Abraham to become.
1: Yeah, and as verse 25 says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And I think that is all Abraham is trying to reinforce is ultimately I trust you as the judge of all the earth that you will do right. And by having this conversation, I feel confident that you will do right because you will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked.
0: Um, Lucky in saying that you thought like the Lord was obviously confident in Abraham in the start of nineteen. Do you think the two angels um, came in the evening as kind of watchers to make sure, like just a little bit of the Lord wanting to have eyes kind of around?
1: Yeah, because what we have here is God Himself is sending His angels to see. Like mm-hmm. we we believe that God knows everything instantly, so He does doesn't have to send these two messengers to Sodom to see if they really are as bad as as God thinks they are. But he sends them almost to give Sodom a final chance. Mm. Mm. It's sort of like that. Like this is a, a real obvious test.
2: Sort of like if, mm. if, if you can like you should obviously see that these are angels and you should obviously like know what to do. Um sort of giving you know, like that that final test, that final push to see what will what will happen um, in a really m- like major, obvious
1: way. I don't know if the people obviously knew they were angels, but I think it was just a final test of seeing how they would treat God's messengers, whether they knew they were God's messengers or not. because almost when angels appear in the Bible, they either appear as, Completely human, and you don't know they're angels till they're revealed, or they appear as scary and terrifying, and their first words are "Do not be afraid." Yeah, and the impression we get from the story of them sitting in Abraham's tent is that they just appeared as people; they looked human mm. in all regards. Yeah, true. Yeah, because because before it said
2: how you don't know if you're having a meal with a sh- with with an angel. Yeah, um, you know, a voice being uh open to hosp hospitality hospi- hospitality 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 hospitality. An there, Josh. <laughs>
1: hospitality yeah so you would yeah you wouldn't know that would make sense and it is interesting that he sends the two angels to Sodom before he has this conversation with Abraham and so you assume that the angels are already sent with their instructions of what to do and to see if the city is beyond Redemption before Abraham has this weird negotiation moment. And so ultimately this negotiation doesn't seem to achieve anything that the Lord wasn't already going to do. It just helped Abraham understand what the Lord was going to do.
2: Even if Abraham was was able to whittle it down to like, you only need to find one righteous person. If God went through with it and wiped out everyone, then that says, well, there was no righteous people. I couldn't even find one.
1: Yes, correct.
0: I guess I want to know just a little bit more about like the character of Lot. Mm. I know we've touched on it briefly, but just like, the significance of him?
1: So Lot is Abraham's nephew. He uh, followed Abraham when Abraham was called to leave his homeland and come to this new promised land. We see that mm-hmm. Lot has grown an exceptionally wealthy along with Abraham. And uh, from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, we know this about Lot's character. And it says, Lot was a righteous man, Living among them day to day, he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And so at least according to the New Testament, Lot was an exceptionally righteous man who lived amongst these sinful people and day after day was sort of tortured within his own soul at seeing the evil around him. It's also theorized that Lot had the job of being a judge in Sodom. The reason we think that is judges usually sat by the city gates that was the common place for a judge to sit. And mm. so Genesis 23, Job 29, we see examples of judges sitting by the city gates and people would come to the city gate and present their cases and a judge would make a decision. And then when you go to verse 9 of chapter 19, you see that one of the reasons the people are angry at Lot is that he is a foreigner who is judging them. Uh-huh. And so this is put together to think that while Lot was wealthy and well-off, Because of that, he was probably upheld in the community as a judge, as an arbiter between cases.
2: And so they already might have had inklings to want to try and get rid of him, try and be sort of mean and nasty towards him. This could have been the straw that broke the camel's back. And Lot originally had that more nomadic um, farming lifestyle, lifestyle, but has chosen to live in more of that, like, Comfy city setting,
1: urbanized, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: urbanized city setting, and as you just said, you know, obtain that sort of wealth that that can bring. Very sort of different to than how Abraham's living. So we could also like bring that sort of stark differences between between the two of God choosing Abraham, who is this humble nomadic character, versus
1: a character that's decided to be rich and wealthy inside of a city. But again, I think we're meant to see Lot as a positive character. Oh, yeah. That's how the New Testament sees him. We're going to see that most of his actions here are very admirable. There is one specific action which I think everyone on the face of the planet would say, Lot, you're an idiot. How dare you? But in general, his actions here are quite positive. Because as these two angels arrive, he insisted strongly that they come and spend the night with him. And I think that reveals that he knows what his city is like. He knows what Sodom is like, and he wants to show hospitality and protection to these two strangers who have rocked up, which is why he strongly insisted that they come and spend the night with him.
2: Mm, Out of concern. Yeah. Now, verse 8 is what Lachlan was referring to in terms of, we. I think we can all agree on that action being a big no-no.
1: Yes, probably one of the most shocking things a father could say. But let's, let's just cover the verses before that, before yes. we hit 8, which is Lot bakes them a very quick meal, which is baking bread without yeast is a very quickly made meal. And I think that's meant to contrast kind of the lavish meal that Abraham managed to prepare for these same men. Lot is still showing hospitality, but he doesn't have the time to prepare a big meal. And then the text says, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom came to Lot's house and demanded that he turn over the visitors so that they could have sex with them. And he comments about kind of that level of desire or sinfulness that every man in the city of Sodom expresses.
0: It's probably a bit of a trigger warning, but like, is it the, it's kind of like rape? It sounds like Mm -hmm. attempted rape.
1: Absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt. Like the text says the direct translation is so that we can know them, but we've spoken in previous episodes about how the Hebrew verb to know is used at least 15 times in the old Testament to refer to sexual activities. It's knowing mm. on a, on a sexual level that they are after. And so when they say bring out those men so that we can know them, what they're saying is bring them out so that we can have sex with them.
0: Yeah. And then um in eight, it says who have not known any man. So they're obviously virgins.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So which makes
0: it awful. It's already awful, but it just like adds to it.
1: Yeah. So a lot, in trying to protect the strangers under his roof, instead offers his virgin daughters to the crowd and says, know them instead, they've never known a man. Now, obviously, mm. that means instead you can have sex with my daughters, they've never had sex before. Like, that is that is what is being said here. That is the bit that I was referring to before about this is probably the worst suggestion mm. a father has ever made in his entire life. Mm. The one redeeming quality of Lot is he's taken the protection of these strangers so seriously. He's willing to sacrifice everything he has, which includes his daughters, to protect them. But I don't think there is a father alive or listening to this podcast who would make that trade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 would, I would heavily agree with that. Yes. And so Lot does a dumb, dumb thing here. He does it to protect the strangers. But it is an awful, awful thing to suggest.
0: And did this happen or was it just a suggestion it actually happened?
1: Well, as we read the rest of the story, we see that the men of the city refuse that offer and say, no, we don't want your daughters, we want those two men that came. Thankfully, his daughters are not handed over to the crowd. In fact, the angels you see here open the door, pull lot back inside and then barricade the door.
0: When you just said they want the men, does that kind of imply homosexuality?
1: Yes, because... Sodomy is a word that has been used for quite a while now to denote homosexual activities, and sodomy Mm -hmm. comes from the word Sodom.
0: So why, why did they want men, not women?
1: Depends how far we want to dive into that debate. The sin of the people here is, like there's multiple sins going on, but the attempted homosexual rape of these two angels is high up on the list of the sins of the people of Sodom. And mm-hmm. for most of biblical history, sodomy has referred to homosexual actions and is seen quite negatively in scripture. I, I personally think, it, like, if, look, I mean, it's 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 the
2: act of, of rape, regardless of who it's towards. For me, it's it's mm. the sin of it's the sin of rape. It's the sin of non non-consen- of nonconsensual. Um, for me, it, it doesn't matter who it is. It's just forcing oneself onto another is the ultimate sin. There.
1: Yes, like I said, there's a multitude of sins going on here. Attempted rape, very, very high up on the list. The only other thing that makes me think that sodomy or homosexual actions may be included here is Ezekiel 16, in referring to Sodom, says they did an abomination before me, and the only law within the Levitical Holiness Code that has abomination attached to it is the law against homosexual actions. So Ezekiel's definitely referring to homosexual actions as part of the sins of Sodom.
0: In verse 11, it says, and they struck with blindness the men. Was that literal blindness?
1: Yeah. A better translation of the word is dazzled, which is a really fun way to say it. Um, So we're talking about they were sort of in like a dazzled state, a bit of confusion going on, kind of head spinning. And suddenly because of that, they couldn't do anything to attack Lot or the angels any further.
0: So like who would have, would someone have imposed that blindness on them, like a higher power? Or it's not like literal, they didn't actually turn blind.
1: No, no. So verse 11, then they, so the they there refers to the two angels that have come to Sodom. They struck the men with blindness. Right. Or dazzled them. Yeah. And so the angels have pulled Lot out of harm's way, as he was Mm -hmm. arguing with the men of Sodom on his doorstep. They've put him out of harm's way and then they've blinded all of the people. Right. And then they try to encourage Lot that it's time to get out of here. <laughs> if he
2: didn't mm-hmm. if he didn't already realize like Lot should have, you know, maybe thought that maybe we should should
1: run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Except you may think that Josh, but that is not Lot's first response. No, it's not.
0: Yeah, what is 16 by he lingered. Mm-hmm. Why is he lingering?
1: He just kept delaying. Like I love get the bit where there, finally bro. At the coming of dawn, the angels literally grab his hand and the hands of his daughter and wife and literally drag them from the city. And I I don't think there is a clearer sign of God's mercy and grace than him literally dragging Lot's family out of the city. The line of don't look back is foreshadowing Lot's wife Mm. who decides to look back. Yes. And unfortunately gets turned to Ash.
2: Very brutal.
0: Mm.
1: the whole cities are destroyed by burning sulfur. And we Mm. do know back from Chapter 14 that there were tar pits all over this valley. And so some of the thoughts is that this sulfur erupted from these deposits that were all over the valley and then showered down out of heaven, destroying Mm. the cities.
0: You just kind of think, though, Lot made a pretty big mistake on what he tried to do. And, like, his wife just simply looked back and, like, she's gone. But, like, he's let Lot live.
1: The, The common teaching on this passage is that Lot is prepared to give up his lifestyle in Sodom eventually to survive, whereas the common story told is that Lot's wife, unable to conceive of life without the luxuries of an urban lifestyle, unwilling to give up everything that she had in the city, looks back desiring it. Mm. And it's that that turning back when instructed yeah. not to that results in her death.
0: And you always like you also wonder how damaged she would have been from like what lot offered to do with her children
2: yeah her oh, daughters yeah. it's all a it's all a mess. Like yeah, yeah, this whole story is <laughs> it, it's just like you know there's there's a lot happening and like you know y- you sort of think like you know you have to be thinking on your feet here like mm-hmm. what are you doing if you're if you're lot you're the head of the house like you know what's the best decision moving forward like so many so many things and even like that whole thing about possessions and your your life that's probably why lot hesitated because he doesn't want to give up this because surely once lot flees with his family those those people that are trying to come and sort of attack the house are probably just going to rip through that house and steal everything. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not thinking they're just going to leave everything alone and then Lot can come back and be like, oh, so everything's fine, right? Like, well, obviously everything's not fine because the the entire place gets destroyed. Yeah, the whole city's destroyed. (laughs) The entire city gets destroyed. But, you know, there's that material attachment, as we're we're saying, that's like grounding these people to not flee.
0: What's the significance of, is it, Zoar, Zor,
1: Zor. um,
0: where he says, I can do nothing until you arrive there. Is there more to that line?
1: So the angel is trying to get Lot out of danger. And initially he says, flee to the mountains. And Lot's like, I'm not going to make it in the mountains. Let me go to that little town. And Zor literally means... A little town, like the direct translation <laughs> yeah. is a little town. But we see pretty soon afterwards that Lot flees even from Zor to eventually go to the mountains as he was instructed. Yeah, mm, he's bargaining again. Yes,
2: and it's like that little town. So it's like trying to seek what he wanted before, mm. whereas he's been instructed and in almost like as a test to like you just got to leave everything. Yes, and just go. But he's still trying to like. It's like that parable of Jesus. Well not it's not even a parable, but the um the tax collector wanting to like, how do I follow you? And it's like, well, you just gotta give up everything. Mm-hmm. You are like, oh, I can't do that. Like, you know, here we see a similar thing of like him still trying to like, ooh, little village, maybe we can still have a bit what of you know, a bit of that pie that we had before. No, just got to leave that entire pie gone like away. Mm. In verse twenty
0: nine, we also see um where it says God remembered Abraham. Mm -hmm. We've seen that before. Like he just remembers he's still there going, needs help.
1: (laughs) I think verse 29 is meant to make us realise the entire interaction that Abraham had with the Lord when he was negotiating was Mm. for Lot. Like Mm. it's a throwback to saying the whole reason Yahweh has saved Lot here is because he knows and loves and is a friend with Abraham. And because of that friendship, he's saved Abraham's nephew. And that's what the throwback is there. And I don't know about you guys, but when I read this story, it's pretty awful. There's a lot of destruction. But then I want to read us some of Jesus's words where he says, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for the cities of Galilee that rejected Jesus. And so we read this destruction upon Sodom and go, wow, God judge these people for the numerous sins they were committing. And Jesus says, "Those who saw Jesus working miracles saw him preaching the gospel and rejected him. It's better off for these cities
2: to be destroyed."
1: Yeah, mm. which I think is just showing us the seriousness of taking Jesus seriously when we jump to the New Testament context, mm. having now just read in detail mm. this kind of awful story here.
2: Now, haven't they found? That, haven't they been able to um, sort of discover and? sort of see that there was a asteroid that sort of burst above um, Sodom and that was the raining down of fire. Not to say that it wasn't God, but God could have sent
1: the asteroid. You know what I mean? Like I haven't looked into it recently. For memory, having looked into it before, they found evidence of widespread destruction in this area in this general time period. Mm-hmm. But last I heard or looked into it, there wasn't any finalised theory or well-supported theory about what caused the destruction just that at an archaeological level there is actually signs of destruction mm, which I think is quite cool because I always love a good like science backing up God's decision <laughs> yep absolutely the one other thing I want to bring up before we get to the end of this chapter which is somehow even more disturbing than what we've just read uh... is I think we're meant to see an obvious parallel to the flood story here which is in both stories, we have one righteous man and his family, and they are saved from a basically universal destruction, and they're saved only because of God's intervention, and the destruction is because of the sins of the surrounding people. But then both of those stories also have a short appendix in which a drunken father disgraces Himself, mm, Yeah. And so I think there is some very strong parallels going on here between Noah and Lot as we hit the final section of Lot's story of Lot and his daughters.
0: So this next section we focus on Lot and his daughters, which, spoiler alert, is not a very nice story. No. But the setting at the start just sounds really horrible. Like they live in the hills and he was afraid and they live in a cave. Like things must have been really, really horrible.
1: Hmm. Which surprises me because he's got his uncle Abraham very well off and very nearby. Mm. Like we know from the end of this story that Abraham was camped within viewing distance of Mm -hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Abraham gets up in the morning and looks out at the city and sees its fiery wreckage. Mm-hmm. And so Abraham's close by and it's always confused me that instead of running to his uncle, who he knows well and knows loves him, he stays in this cave. Um, it could be like Lot's pride getting the better of himself that he can't stoop
2: to ask for help when he's built up such sort of wealth and um, resources for himself that now that he's lost everything to then go and ask for help is just another sort of like stab in the back, mm. potentially.
0: And I couldn't help but question in this next bit that doesn't turn very nice that obviously there's no excuse for any of this but could they have they've been going a bit crazy because of the circumstances they were living in and the fear and
1: I think we get that impression like there's they're like we want to have families we're stuck in this cave there's no men around Mm. our family line's going to die out and in case you didn't read the story Lot's daughters get him awfully drunk and then sleep with him
0: you just think, like, if pregnancy's nine months, they would have lived in those caves, like, pregnant. It just would have been such a strange dynamic. And <laughs>
1: to,
2: to say the like, least. was he yeah.
0: angry at the daughters? Like,
2: mm. yeah, because, like, I don't think he wanted this to happen. No, because mm. it was forced upon
1: him. Yeah, yeah. The text literally says he did not know that they did this. hmm. Like, that's how drunk he was. Yeah. Which is, again, the second time alcohol has appeared in the Bible as another very, very, very negative story Mm. about its dangers. Such a...
2: I'm just like, why? (laughs) Like, Mm. you know, like the dangers of alcohol and seeing people fall from grace sort of thing. But still,
1: why? (laughs) I mean, Josh, you were asking me before we started recording Mm. why we would even include a story like this in the Bible. And I think part of the reason this story is included is the two children that come from this very unholy union, one of them is called Moab and one of them is called Ben-Ami. And those are two nations that would be constant enemies of Israel for the rest of Israel's existence. Mm. And I think part of the rhetoric that is happening in this part is almost throwing these nations under the bus hard Mm. of saying your origin is from incest. Mm. Like the word Moab means from father. Like Mm. Israel is trying to argue that their very enemies have awful origin stories and therefore don't need to be respected or almost justifying why there's war with these nations and it's because their origins are unholy and ungodly.
0: Why didn't Abraham like intervene in this situation? So it said it happened the next day again. Like, unless he just didn't know, but why? Like, would he have known? Would he have reacted?
1: I don't think Abraham had any idea what was going on in that cave with Lot. Like I said, it surprises Mm. me that Lot didn't run to his uncle, but the fact that Abraham's not mentioned in the story makes me think that he's just not involved in this story.
0: Yeah, because, like, it happens the the next day, but obviously you don't know instantly if you're pregnant, so poor guy would have had a hangover, have no idea what happened, and unaware that he is going to have two kids.
2: Yeah. It's all a bit strange.
0: Yeah, it's there's a lot going on in this.
2: <laughs> <It's, yeah>. unpleasant. <laughs> it is, and you know that you know that's 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 the Bible for you. That's why you know it's it's just a a, a great big book that is got so many different things in it. Like it, it's you know it, I think a lot of for people that don't know the Bible think it you can be sort of very sort of like happy-go-lucky. Uh, nice stories like now you've got things like this which really sort of shows like the ups and downs of humanity the pitfalls um, of 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 it and showing that you know like life isn't all um, sunshine and roses that it can be quite gross at times mm. but as we sort of see throughout the bible god shines through it through it all even mm. even in the in the the grossness of of some of these sections. It's still, still turned,
1: still turn to the father, still turned to the Lord. And won't the Judge of the Earth do right? Like that is surely the takeaway from this section. Of that's what Abraham says to Yahweh, and that's what Yahweh does. Is he does save the few righteous people in this city before sending it up in flames, mm. and. We see that those righteous people aren't even that righteous. They're not even that good, but God is gracious. Mm.
0: Do we hear like further on in the Bible at all about Moab and Benami if they're kind of banished or treated badly because of the circumstances they were born in?
1: Yeah, like I was saying, um, the Moabites and the Ammonites are the descendants of these two sons and yep. they are constant enemies of Israel. And so they—they're mm. they're almost always at war with Israel. Is those two nations? And I think yeah. part of the reason this story is included is to see the origin story is that these unholy, ungodly nations came from unholy, ungodly
0: beginnings. That's unfair for them.
2: Mm. And we see—I mean, it's just yeah—we see that a lot with like with with characters like someone like Ishmael, and like we've got also the like you know these these guys here of it's unfortunately the actions of others like you know it's the, sa- it's the same thing with like Adam and Eve right um, it's the actions of others that has a flow on effect at why other people are then sort of um, harmed or a result of you know it just it, it, like it further reiterates that like I, I don't know like y- your actions can just have an effect not just on yourself but in, th- in this instance generations to come <laughs>
0: My takeaway from this section that we did today is kind of what Josh said, that it's not all rainbows and berries and flowers. <laughs> that there were some pretty crappy things that happened. Mm. Um, I think from a newbie, I just always just focused on the, the cool stories or the good ones, mm. but didn't realise like how many actual really horrible things happened. So it's interesting hearing how bad it was.
1: My takeaway is won't the judge of all the earth do right? I think that is... What we see in this passage, we see that Judge of the earth have a really robust conversation with Abraham about what it would take for him to save this city. And then we see God do right. We see him save the righteous. We see him destroy the wicked. And that is something he has done in the past and will do in the future. Won't the judge of the earth do right? I think that's my like um
2: similar takeaway is like god is still putting it willing to put in the hard work with the righteous and with the non-righteous he will try and try and try um, and he will reward those um, followers those followers of faith those who have an enormous amount of faith in him he'll reward those great like them greatly like abraham but he will still try like sending the angels test testing um the city of sodom to see if 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 they're going to come back or if it's if everything's gone and he will still continue to put in that hard work and is uh willing to to go that step of like well unfortunately it hasn't worked out so we will, like in this instance we'll have to wipe you out like <laughs> you know like it, it's not like it's a jesus that will it's a jesus not like that well, i mean jesus god you know holy spirit um <laughs> <laughs> It's not like a god that would be like, oh well, well I tried. Let's move move on. He's he's still willing to put on the glove, put the gloves on, get his hands dirty for the greater good, if mm. that makes sense. Mm. As we've sort of read and discussed this passage, it's a it's a bit of a weird and wacky one. It's um, there's some not so nice things that have come out of out of it, and we'd love to know your thoughts on of, on 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 it. We've sort of shared shared our thoughts, and if you've got any further questions or. Uh, um, if anything's come up and what you've sort of gotten
1: out of it, send send it in. We'd love to uh, hear your thoughts as well on that. Please do send it in. I've got several friends who reach out to me every time they listen to an episode and mm. shoot me through some questions, and I've been adding it to our big questions document because, mm-hmm. again, we plan a Q&A at the end of this season. And so I'm already excited by all the questions coming through, and I'd love to see more and more. Yes. So we'd love to encourage you to send them, send them through. And... Um, what a great place
2: to send them is patreon so yeah uh, <laughs> if you if you if you interested in our patreon head over to patreon because you can actually set like you know you can make comments there you can send us stuff stuff there and we'll see that straight straight away there if you want to financially support us head over to patreon and uh you can get all the the details there because well, when we get up to our q a section we'll actually be asking the patreons first getting mm. their answers and then going to the general public um also follow us on social media if you haven't already go to go to our Facebook our Instagram TikTok um YouTube as well we're on YouTube if you're just listening listening to this um we post uh, real shorts and um things like that so can, you can keep up to date with our social media Lockie, can I get you to pray for us
1: Absolutely Lord Jesus we thank you that you are good We thank you that you make good decisions and good judgments. As we have read today, thank you for the faith of Abraham and how he lived out his calling to be a blessing to all nations and the way that he interceded for them. And so we ask that that may be something we do in our week, that we may intercede in prayer For those around us that do not yet know you, that we as Christians, as um, people who inherit the promises to Abraham, may also be a blessing to all the nations and all the people around us. And so we ask for your guidance, for your wisdom in our lives going forward, um, that we may glorify your name in everything we do. And thank you for the scripture and the words we read and the way you teach us through that. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Amen. Oh, Amen. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Thank you, Morgan and Lockie, for uh, this discussion. And we'll see everyone next week. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. A mustard seed creative production.